For a long time now, I thought I was just a survivor, but I'm not. I'm the winner. That's who I am. The Time Lord Victorious. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm James. And I'm Billy. Thank you very much for joining me, guys. Uh, so today we're going to be having our first look at the Time Lord Victorious That's with cool. an episode on the Big Finish play, He Kills Me, He Kills Me Not. Uh, so as usual, be aware that there will be spoilers as we discuss this story. So how have you guys been getting on with Time Lord Victorious so far, uh, James? Oh, it's, it's a big beast, isn't it? Um, I have revisited it today, actually, in my prep for this podcast so um it is across so much different so many different mediums so many different stories so um at the moment i'm still not much the wiser so far i have read the uh the night the fool and the dead um which i finished in about a day um which might have had something to do with the fact it was what 180 pages and the text was the size of the top line of a, an eye chart test um but uh, i have to say um it, it did intrigue me to see less so where everything's going to go and more how things sort of fell into place because there's quite a lot of backstory that um i sort of feel like we get echoes of in this um, there's sort of stuff to come and there's stuff we still need to work out. Um, mm. And I, I feel like at the moment we're just sort of laying the groundwork generally for Time Lord Victorious. There's not an awful lot of meat on the bones just yet. No, absolutely. I think some of the material that's come out has been where you can follow different characters through the storyline. And this seems to be the starting point for Brian the Ood Assassin. Mm-hmm. I think chronologically is a first appearance, isn't it? Um so, should we talk about Brian first? I think, undoubtedly for me, one of the highlights of this one. I love Brian. He, it, I, was, I mean, it's recognisably ood, but to, to the, you know, the twist in this case, obviously, is turning uh, a subservient sort of ood into an assassin. And it's just, his one-liners are just delivered perfectly. You know, it, it sounds like he's going to kill you in the nicest possible way. It's almost <laughs> like I'm going to make you a cup of tea, and then I will kill you. Mm. It's, it's so it's so brilliant. Uh, and and again, as you say, one of my highlights as well from this story. I, I have to agree. I think Silas Carson is is absolutely superb in this. And um, it's funny that you know a character that could have almost been portrayed in in, in several different sort of ways vocally. Um, he sounded exactly as how, how I imagined Brian sounded when I read the book. Um, mm. You know, he was just, uh, you know, very cool, calm, collected, suave, which also within itself is a bit weird for a nude. Mm. Um, but I guess if you're wearing a tux and you're wielding a massive laser gun, um, you're either a threat or you're suave or you're both. Um, and he, yeah, he, he kind of covers both of those aspects of the character really, really well. I thought he was fantastic. Mm. It's the, it's the Mr. Ball as well. It's, uh, you know, Mr. Ball's not very happy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like he's, you know, I, I almost wonder, is Brian cracked or is his little ball cracked? It's, it's weird. But that, that, that within itself, you know, the, the sequence, I, I thought it was probably one of the best scenes in the entire um, audio drama with um, him saying, all I need to do is think about killing you and mm. you're dead. And I thought that was really effective because it sort of, for the moment, stopped portraying him as an affable sort of comic relief character. And suddenly it was like, oh, he, yeah, just a reminder, he is actually really deadly. Yeah. Um, and I think it needed those moments of levity, but it also needed reminders about, you know, this guy is a killer, ultimately. Absolutely. Mm. He sort of reminded me. Do you remember the Red Dwarf episode, Quarantine, when... Yes, Mr. Flipple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Red River's been taken yeah. over with the hex virus, and he starts talking to that penguin glove puppet, and he's like, Mr. It is Flipple. A, it is a little angry. bit... I think it's all the third-person stuff, isn't it? And, and also, yeah. you know, how, you know, it's all very polite and calm yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, very hollow virus rimmer, yeah. Mm. Definitely. And it's that, it's that sort of um, the creepiness of 
talking to somebody that that isn't there or that you can't see i think as well that the audience isn't isn't privy to their their side of the conversation um but they say getting silas carson back uh with the voice of the youth on tv is he really sells it and and the sort of timbre of his voice he's so like say polite he's reasonable just makes it all the more chilling um, it's it's a bit like if C-3PO turned psychopathic, isn't it? Do you know that's exactly what I wrote down with C-3PO? Was that, imagine C-3PO was trying to kill you. Yeah, he's got that same sort of, like you say, sort of slightly yeah. subservient manner and politeness. Um, when he, he's talking about, well, you know, if, if you just let me kill her, then, um, you know, we can all stop running about and she can stop breathing. And he makes it sound like the most reasonable proposition <laughs> in the world, doesn't he? Yeah, and there's a the moment where he's he's lost the discharge and the ball, and he it just becomes this sort of really reasonable sort of like, oh, I, I see, I don't really have much of a choice but to to go with you. <laughs> it's just it kind of it kind of shows though that he has got some set of morals because mm. he ultimately is a contract killer, um, and so that does make him somewhat affable, um, and you know. If anybody has delved into the other parts of Time World Victorious, they know that he's just as affable with other incarnations of the Doctor. Mm. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I think that's going to be... I think he's certainly one of the best parts to have come out of it so far in terms of character development um, mm. and in terms of just, you know, new faces on the block, really. It's, it's, it's certainly not a one-dimensional character that you're going to forget instantly. There's... Like you say, there's so many facets to him. He's just really nice to listen to. Mm. It's a really Doctor Who idea as well, isn't it? It's a bit like Strax, where you take you know an alien that is, is known for one thing um, and putting a totally different personality and spin on it. Mm. And he features, as, as Billy was just saying, he features in other stories, but he's mm. also got his own T-shirt, yeah. which is one of the pieces of merchandise that I... I saw because I, I know I said to both of you I can't wait for a character options figure of Brian, but I didn't no. realise he had his own glow in the dark T-shirt with hidden message on. And exactly, and and in the uh, in that crazy um, timeline that keeps changing every thirty seconds, um, <laughs> it's it's featured on there as part of the story. So yeah. uh, it'll, you know, I, I wonder what else they'll come with. There'll probably be a, a tiny exclusive story that comes with that Blu-ray set, or I don't know. James Goss will sneeze and we'll decode it on Twitter and it'll be the next, <laughs> the final part we've been missing in the whole, in the whole story. But we'll have to wait and see. Mm. Yeah, because I think I said to you, James, that he's getting um, one of the Eagle Moss figures, which I, th- I was sure I'd seen. But then when I tried to look for it, um, I, I don't think he is, but maybe I've just seen that suggested somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've seen the, the, the T-shirt and the mug mm-hmm. and the ticket holder. <laughs> <laughs> for Brian the Ood. I mean, where, does, where, where, where does that fit into the, uh, into the timeline? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Uh, I think you have to go into the London Underground and, and swipe your card in order to get a bit of the story. Uh, ah, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was uh, quite impressed with the with the merchandise for Brian. That's quite quite an achievement for such a new character. You can see, well, depending on what happens to him, I suppose, throughout this story, you can see him having um, quite a good life beyond it with, with Big Finish and, and other avenues. Mm. Spin-off yeah. series. Yeah. Absolutely. If they, if they can do a new Earth box set, then uh, we're yeah. certainly going to get a brand new box set. <laughs> and, I, and I'd buy that. I'd buy that for sure. Definitely. <laughs> uh, the, the story finds a companionless eighth Doctor uh, trying to tick off some of the 700 Wonders of the Universe that were first mentioned in Death to the Daleks. Um, and I guess this this really ties into the the wider uh, Time Lord Victoria story as well. The planet that he arrives on is completely different to the one he was expecting. He was expecting an ocean planet where everyone lives in these big city ships, and he ends up in this kind of dust bowl, wild west, one horse town. Um, so the suggestion is that that time has been changed in some way. Yeah, and the, I don't. And again, I know you've already said about spoilers, but I don't think the Katoru are mentioned in the story, but I'm assuming that they are potentially the cause for the fact that the planet has changed. Well, this this was the thing that I actually found quite refreshing about about this story is that we're not 
kind of jumping chronologically in any mm. direction. So if you've read uh, The Night, The Fool and The Dead, you have a pretty clear idea of exactly what's happened to this planet. Um, uh-huh. And the, the two probably have something to do with the reason why the Doctor doesn't recognise it. Yeah. Alternatively, what happens to the Eighth Doctor at the end of the story could also lead into what happens, you know... Uh, I don't know where we are. You know, is, is this a time fracture? Is this another reality? Is this actually happening in our universe in the dark times? I have no idea. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that all ties together. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read bits. And, and again, it, even the, the sort of backstory to the, the different things that are coming out through Time Lord Victorious only really give you a, a sort of a puzzle piece because I've, I've read quite a bit about the, the upcoming Dalek animation series and what that's based on. And it, it's, it's, it's quite, the, there are elements of it that I really want to, to delve into. I'm not necessarily a massive fan of, of comics. So things like that, I, I'm quite pleased that I don't have to digest all 29 or 30 or plus um, elements of it to be able to enjoy it. I think that's a good thing. Um, that being said, I'm sure people will. I'm sure people will want to to take on board all of it to understand what's happening. I, I think that's going to be the key to all of this, really. I think that um, it, it might even be a case of just waiting for this event to be over. And then somebody drawing up, well, here's the main threads. You really want to follow the books and the audios in this order, which is honestly what I assume assume is the case. But then, you know, I I kind of thought, okay, the BBC books and the big finish audio dramas, they're going to be our kind of main uh, push in in, in the direction of a narrative for this this series. And then, uh, you know, with all all the best wood in the world, I, I have to say I'm glad that this was only 8.99 and it wasn't a kind of full-blown kind of big finish box set price on their website um because i'm sort of at the moment as much as i did enjoy listening to it as a as a whole i i wonder really where the value is in it as a standalone story it really only will ever be as exciting as it is in the moment that we're listening to it now as part of the Time Vault Victoria story unfolding. Um, and I just think that the the shelf life of these stories is going to be minimal. Um, you know, again, I did enjoy it, but I, I just think that they have to consider the balance of listening to it as a standalone story and justifying the full price for it. And then also expecting people to go on and buy the next three or four box sets, or if they add another Tom Baker story, who knows? It could be like five, <laughs> seven or eight. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, it, it, it's. I think I, I started listening to this hoping to get a flavour of Time Lord Victorious. I think if I was to listen to this one story alone, I would have come away feeling quite. Um, disappointed in that respect um, having sort of listened to the short trips as well and a couple of other bits and pieces that I've, I've gone through kind of get some of it but it, I think as a as a, as a one-off story if I was listening to this and I didn't know anything about Time Lord Victorious I would be none the wiser so to speak because it I was I was sat there listening out for some sort of reference or something that I could go, oh, that's a a little bit. And there are some very subtle ones, don't get me wrong. Um, Like you say, you know, the planet has changed and the wonders of the world not there. The wonders of the universe. But there wasn't really enough to get your teeth into from a I want to know more. Mm. Um, I likened it, I was talking to someone else, and I I likened it to a little bit like... um, and I'm showing my age now. Do you, do you remember watching Catchphrase, yeah. the TV show? And you'd get an answer and then you would stop, you know, the corner of the screen and there would be nothing there when it was revealed. <laughs> and that was kind of a bit like this story. It kind of, you know, I, I listened to it, but nothing really has been revealed. I can't see the bigger picture. Um, I, I feel like that might be the case for the next few releases. I think it's, mm. it's going to be 
there's going to be a core of narrative and then some stuff on the outside that you know we, we might be led to believe is actually key to the story but maybe isn't so much um but i, I that, that is a perfect analogy james with the catchphrase it really is bang on he's saying it's good but it's not right <laughs> I, I quite enjoyed it as a standalone story. I like the the the, the sort of like the, the tautness of it that there's just a handful of characters and they've all got sort of very clearly defined uh, kind of objectives and goals and it's immediately set up that you've got um, Brian and whichever one it is, uh, it's Felicity. Um, yeah. who are pretending to the doctor that they are actually friends, but then we know that Brian is trying to kill Sophie's husband, Felicity, who is hiding out in the in the uh, bar with the with the other characters. Um, and the way that it all unfolded like that, it, it could have been almost like a, a stage play or something. You know, you could you could put that on with a handful of characters. Um, I thought that worked really well. And the the other scene that I absolutely loved was where the Doctor's plan kicks in and the, they, they, everyone's wearing these heat shields, which he managed to yes. reprogram to disguise them. And Paul McGann is playing all of the other characters with different accents and feminine intonation for the, for the, yeah. um, for the female characters. I thought that scene was, was absolutely brilliant. I, I did like that scene. It was a bit like, um, oh, in the Harry Potter film where they all take the polyjuice patient, they all look like Harry, but mm-hmm. it was with, with him doing the accents for all the different characters, I thought was, was genius. That was very good. He's a true Bruce Paul. He is. He's very, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's very good at this story. He, he's, mm. he's, you know, he's been doing audio a long time now. It's very comforting listening to Ace Doctor stories because you know yeah. that you're going to get a really quality performance from him, uh, which you do. Um, I'd say some of the accents reminded me of the old cartoon Brave Star. Um, it was, <laughs> I was listening to it going, that's very odd uh, at one point. I, I, I was wavering more towards the gunfighters, but I, I see I yeah. see we're coming from the same direction pretty much, I think. Yeah. Is Brave Star the one with the, was it the robot horse called 2020? That's the one, yeah. Yeah, vaguely. I probably haven't thought about that since since I watched it. But when you said that, it really rang a bell. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's that kind of sort of you know, it's that uh, real sort of Texas twang to it. Um, but uh, but you know, I, I thought that's like you say when Paul McGann did those accents, he did do them really well, and and that actually sort of not did didn't necessarily make up for those accents. It actually made those accents more fun because he would say 100% it was that bit where where Brian comes down he's imagined stairs or whatever in the um in the bar and the eighth doctor is sort of talking like a gunslinger (laughs) and I was like oh that's quite funny and I was like this is going on for quite a while surely he would have stopped doing it by now and then you know you suddenly realize oh this is part of a quite a cool little plan um (laughs) that was that was one of my favorite sort of like comedic parts of the whole thing besides Brian it made me wonder if these characters started talking in that way because they're in a wild west town on an alien planet or whether they had those accents and so set it up as a wild west town on an alien planet which came first (laughs) (laughs) maybe it comes to the territory you never know (laughs) the planet that that Sophie and Felicity came from it was uh, an interesting idea. I don't know. If, wonder if they will visit that planet. The doctor says at one point, "I'd like to go and have a word with them." Um, I didn't quite catch it. They called uh, Horkoselic or something like that. And uh, the idea there yeah. that the oaths and rules are binding, and that if you break them, it's punishable by death. Um, and they were genetically manipulating, weren't they, to be, mm. to create perfect? Um, uh, perfect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which which obviously from a from the doctor's perspective is not something that he would uh, be pleased with. But then, but then I like the fact that the, the you know the, these two did fall in love. So despite all of that, these two um, sort of star-crossed lovers managed to escape 
Um, and at one point I was thinking, I'm full of references to other things tonight, so I apologize, but <laughs> I was thinking of Spaceballs, the movie, you know, where she runs off, <laughs> she runs off with a, a droid and then he's sort of like chased around the, around the galaxy. <laughs> and it was kind of like you know, these two have fallen in love and they've, they've you know, run off uh, with Brian chasing them. Well, it's exactly the kind of plight the Doctor would get himself involved in, isn't it? And mm. um, I think that in a story that, you know, it's got Time Lord Victorious on the cover, so you're sort of expecting something to happen or something to be kind of furthered. Um, it needed that that human interest element and it needed the uh, that kind of pull for the Eighth Doctor for it to be interesting when there isn't the kind of the core of the story happening in front of you. Mm. Definitely. And then you get that whopper of an ending. Yeah, that was it. Was um, it was interesting? I, I'm I'm genuinely interested to see what this. So so are we to assume he's fallen through some sort of like rip in space and time? Is he ending up somewhere else? Is he still in the same universe? Like what's what's going on? Yeah, because the, the TARDIS didn't dematerialize. No. But it was it was it was definitely transported somewhere. Mm. Obviously, lost Brian along the way. Salamander unfortunately. style. Um, and then you know immediately open the door and you're into the next story, effectively, aren't you? Um, from the cliffhanger, which I, I just thought that was, you know, we we talked about elements of the story that we liked. It was quite a straightforward story mm. and then suddenly you've got you know the appearance of, of the Daleks at the end spoilers yeah so I guess we uh, we've got to I think the 11th of November the the ending move My Enemy is released mm-hmm. the next big finish release there so we find out what's going on with the Daleks and then um, it's around that time the Daleks cartoon series starts as well so whether that ties in to that one I guess and have you have you read much about that just what's in this month's Doctor Who magazine? Mm. There's supposed to be some echoes of the kind of uh, uh, TV Century 21 comics in there, isn't there? Um, yeah. Like in terms of the design, I wonder if that's them trying to sort of say, oh, it's supposed to look like that. Um, mm. But it's. Uh, I'm certainly interested to see how that ties in because um, there's, the, again, I really don't want to, you know, I know that, Mark, you're going to be talking about uh, The Night, The Fall and the Dead, in another podcast, I think <laughs> next week. Um, I, yeah, I really don't want to kind of get into that kind of stuff. But that you know, um, I, I want to see how the Daleks get from there into the rest of Time Lord Victorious. Is all I want to say. Mm. And it features the the welcome return of the Mechanoids as well. Yeah, yeah. Which I personally loved. That's kind uh, of the highlight for me, really, just to see what they what they do with them. Mm. So uh, something something to look forward to. Definitely, and I think I think unrelated to this, there's also the big finish David Tennant set out next year, isn't there? Which is a sort of Terry Nation cinematic universe where they're bringing back the um, it's like it's like the Tenth Doctor back in the sort of uh, Dalek epics of, of the 60s. Oh my god, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. You've got the space right. security service and the mechanoids and the Daleks and the slithers and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah, Dalek universe, yeah. Because mm. isn't the start to that, the prelude to that, another Tom Baker, a new Tom Baker audio? Oh, is that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. Genetics of Daleks, that one? I think that's the Time Lord Victorious one with Tom Baker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and then the there's a spin-off from that. I mean, there's so many. I mean, just, it, it, it feels like every week there's a brand new set announced. Of yeah, I know. I, I'm, you know. I'm absolutely lost. And, and I'm looking at the, um, looking at the artwork for Dalek Universe for the first set, uh, which I haven't actually seen before. There's not a Dalek in sight, but there is a mechanoid. Um, and uh, Mark Gatiss is in it as well. Oh, really? And appears to not be playing the master. Yeah, I, I, that's the first time I've seen this artwork. I don't know if this has just popped up on Big Finish, but yeah, under Dalek Universe One, um, there's there's Mark Gatiss and in in this box set with zero Daleks on the cover, but a massive Dalek logo beneath it. Interesting. 
Ooh. Mm. I shall have to have a look at that. Mm. Now, I know, um, obviously, Big Finish um, only have the licence for all of the, the, the non-current doctors. Yeah. I guess the question I was asking myself, and I've seen a few people post this on, on social media as well, is do, do you think it, it um, is taking something away from the Jodie Whittaker era the fact that we suddenly have all of this content that's coming out through Time Lord Victorious because JD appears to be on the peripheral of that yeah I wonder if it's partly due to Big Finish being one of the main license holders that that can't use the 13th Doctor Um, Mm. but also I suppose where the show is at the moment the last series ended on a cliffhanger where she's in prison you know, do they want to sort of maintain that suspense and, and, and have that story just uh, ready to pick up again at Christmas when the Revolution of the Daleks comes on? I'm not sure. Mm. I suppose we are seeing uh, Jody in other alternative media. You know, there's the, the video game. Computer game that's um, coming out, yeah. Yeah, in which the Tenth Doctor's being crowbarred into. Um, or oh, he just appears in. <laughs> Um, and then obviously there is the um, the new comic books with uh, the Sea Devils that the Tenth Doctor has been crowbarred into, um, and uh, you know there's there's a few things. I I I'm, I'm, I I do feel like maybe not through Time Lord Victorious directly, but I do feel like there is a slight diluting of Jodie as a standalone Doctor in her own adventures. Um, and I don't, I don't know why that is. You know, I, I, I wouldn't like to think that they need to put David on the cover of something with her in order to shift copies of it. Um, I really wouldn't like to think that's the case. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I would like to have seen her in Time of Victorious. But then again, maybe this just isn't her story. You know, maybe it would have just been a bit too much um, to have... The, uh, the 13th Doctor in there, considering we've got 9, 8, and 10. Mm. And, and uh, 4. And, and 4, my God. Yeah, no, I I, I, I get what you're saying, James. I, I, I feel like there is a bit of a dilution of, of, of Jodie as a standalone Doctor within her own right at the moment, yeah. Because normally she would have the set of three novels, which we haven't had this year, have we? The, the you know, sort of uh, the, the spin-off novels that usually come out no, I, we're only getting, we've only got the annual and uh, mm. that, even that had Time Lord Victoria stuff in it, which she wasn't involved in. Mm. Um, and what was the other thing as well? Oh, we've got that, that Children in Need book coming out. Yeah. Um, it's got some stellar names attached to it. Really That's lovely. Them. Yeah, I mm. saw that. I saw all of the sort of things that we, that um, Emily Cook was doing during mm. lockdown, isn't it? It's all the sort of things that, the little extras that she arranged, the short stories that everybody was involved in. Yeah, uh, such a good idea um, to raise some money for children in need. Love that, absolutely fabulous. And and it, you know, it, given what we've just been talking about, and a, and a you know a possible dilution of of, of Jodie's um, Doctor in, in alternative media, it's so nice to see her front and centre of that book mm. Uh, mm. because I think that is going to be a, a cornerstone to a lot of people's Doctor Who purchases towards the end of the year. And because it's for children in need and it's got the Doctor Who logo on it, I think it will be picked up by um, more people than just Doctor Who fans, um, yeah. so that's really, really heartening to see that they've they've put a front and centre on it. Yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah. Very much. So, you guys both listen to the the Big Finish short trips as well that uh, that take place within the Time Lord Victoria. James has. James, I'll let you. I'll let you take take it away on that. Ah, uh, yes, I have, and and I have to say, I really enjoyed both of these mm-hmm. um and i i probably more so than the, the began one um and there's lots of different reasons for that uh and when i was re-listening to them today i have to say john colshaw's impressions mm. of of both the masters in, in very different ways it, it just uh, for, for you know there were moments where i thought i was listening to Roger Delgado, or to uh, Anthony Ainley, especially the way that he his uh, Ainley performance was so uh, sort of reserved and yeah. sort of 
really held back, not sort of like maniacal sort of camp over the top. It was so restrained, Mm. almost like a cat purring who just so softly with the voice. I have to say that I've listened to the trailer for it and that was the one that really knocked me out was that Ainley. I thought it was just superb. Yeah, uh, and the Delgado story. I mean, oh, sorry, I, I'm just sort of skipping across both of them. So, you, so you've got Master Thief, which is done by the, the wonderful Sophie Isles, yeah. uh, who, who uh, Billy and I both both know. Mark, I'm sure you, uh, you know Sophie as well. Mm. And it, it's such a nice story in the fact that you, you could. Li- I listened to that and I thought this could absolutely have happened straight after frontier in space and you know that obviously sadly because of the uh, untimely death of roger delgado that was his last story but it it's got all of that feel of a 70s doctor who story um that the master was up to something and you know getting himself into mischief behind the scenes and it was almost waiting for the doctor to come along and say hang on a second what are you up to and I, I really that that story I really enjoyed because I just I, I it threw me back to those uh, brilliant episodes in the seventies where you had Pertwee and Delgado really sort of sparring off each other. And my favourite Doctor Master relationship definitely, um, and it, it it's kind of from a from a Time Lord Victorious perspective. I know we've been talking about this. I was wondering how it fitted in. There's there's more reference in the in the second master story, mm. but um, I, I I suspect we will find out a bit later on what what the connection is towards the Time Lord Victorious. But I just thought as a as a short story standalone, that was that was lovely. Yeah, I I loved it too. I'd say the. John Coulshaw's performance absolutely fantastic. Um, if he wasn't already playing the Brigadier in the Big Finish Third Doctor stories, um, you want him as the uh, as the Master as well. But I mean, it doesn't doesn't preclude the fact that he, you know the, the possibility of him doing them both. But um, it might be um, uh, it might it might be quite a lot to do, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that that was excellent. And the story itself is great because he he really evokes the character of the of the original Master. You say not only the smoothness, but even when he's under pressure and uh, in, in difficulties, uh, he feels totally authentic. And I love the little in jokes about the because um, he breaks into a vault that's full of like the treasures of the universe. Um, and there's an episode of the Daleks Master Plan in one of the vaults that. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that's a, yeah, that was brilliant. Uh, yeah, that was great. And then a total surprise ending as well, which I, I totally didn't see coming, which was uh, which was great. Yes, and, and and again, I think that you know it, it's a very tricky thing to to write, mm-hmm. um, and I can imagine that you know some people would go, "Well, hang on a second, but actually, I just thought that worked really, really well, um, and and like I say, I, I just thought it was it was a brilliant story, uh, very well done. I loved the occasional "You Will Obey Me," you know that mm-hmm. really freed me back as well. Um, but like you say, you see the the Delgado master under pressure, which you know uh, is quite unusual without the sort of doctor by his side to bail him out. So um, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and I guess it's the the map that ultimately steals from the vault that will become relevant later on in the story. Yeah. That's the way it felt. Um, when you say the second story, it felt much more um, directly involved with Time Lord Victorious because it's got the Keturah in it who are the... just I think it's just a brilliant idea. The, the idea that there's these race of aliens which arrive on planets and determine the lifespan of every living creature mm. that they meet. It's, it's mm. kind of creepy and... Uh, I have to just say, the only thing I didn't um, click with immediately is the voice, because I thought they sounded like Kylo Ren. 
Right. Um, just, <laughs> just that sort of synthesized voice sounded like Kylo Ren with his helmet on from Star Wars, uh, which was a little yeah. bit off. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, absolutely. This this idea that they they just arrive, but they, um, I was reading about them, and they they taste the future, mm. and that's how they determine how long you know, um, someone, you know, or, or a species lifespan should be, depending on whether they deem them worthy or unworthy. Yeah, um, I, I have to say, I, I have really warmed to them as a concept, especially coming out of reading the book, in that they, the nice thing about it is when you, you read through it, um, Steve Cole hasn't obviously been afraid to just make them villains that can um, emote, you know, they're not just like, you know, um, uh, doing that kind of finger pyramid thing and plotting evil and, you know, twiddling their mustache or whatever. They are, they, they, they can sort of smirk to each other in their own sort of evil devilish way. Uh, and even small little things like that can really make them, uh, a lot more interesting than your average baddie. I mean, I don't know, do they exert any of that sort of stuff in, in lesser evils? In lesser evils, it, it you really it's very subtly done so you know often you'll you'll have a, a baddie that comes in and is obviously you know wants to to kill everybody but that's not how they operate and and in this story you you have lots of different elements that you, you've got the ainley master who's I was trying to work out whether he was stranded there, but it certainly sounded uh, that he'd been he'd been left there. He was, you know, not in the best shape. His clothes were were torn and sort of tattered, and he'd he'd been trying to work out, you know, how to get himself back to a position of power using these, these stones. And um, comes along, you know, comes across the. Katoru. And, and you really, it's not like a, a, a direct conflict between them. There is a, there is a battle of wills, if you like. Um, but the ending is, is really the, the race of people that the master's trying to exploit actually decide to be wiped out or regressed. So it, it, it's, it's a very strange thing in, in the fact that it, you can't really say that they're evil because they actually just go with what they, this race of people wanted. They, they feel entirely justified in their actions. That was the thing yeah. so uh, kind of creepy and menacing about their portrayal in the, in the book. Mm. Yeah, it, 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 uh, there's, a, there's a race called the Mangelos and they actually choose to, you know, to, to be... Um, have their lifespan shortened to just a couple of years. Um, and it, it, you kind of, it, the master is very, very affected by it. And I, and I have to say, as a listener, I was quite affected by it because I, I was kind of thinking, are these, are these creatures really evil then or, or not? You know, it, it, it's quite a, a, a weird thing to try and get your head around is that they just did what they were asked to do um yeah i find it a little bit ambiguous um mm. because they there's a couple of points where the the female katura that is interacting with the master in the story she kind of gets a bit annoyed by him and seems to take it out on a couple of other like some insect creatures or something or, yes. the, or the, i think the moss that grows on the tree and she decides that the moss will outlive the tree that it depends on and things like that and that seems to be a little bit sort of capricious and a little bit sort of like just because she's wound up um but yeah it's uh, there's also a short story that that came with the doctor who official newsletter um and it's called dawn of the katura mm. Uh, which is the first planet that they ever land on to do this in this universe. I think I think the backstory is that they believe that they've done this across various universes, and that that is just That's their role. Um, and and this is the first planet that they land on in this universe, and uh, and they meet this child, and it's, it's it's quite sad, but they 
just think, well, this is just kind of we're just part of nature basically, and we're we're imposing this. They very cleverly. You were just saying about you know they they've come from another universe. They they're very sort of cleverly in the narrative of have insinuated that they've been around in the universe for a long, long time um, in the fact that they've had influences on other events. And um, I was reading that they've been linked to Rachnos and um, to um, the great vampires, to the Eternals, because they came from another universe, a bit, mm. a bit like some of those, those creatures. They, um, they certainly loom large in their own legend in, um, in the book. Yeah, um, their, their their coming is sort of one of those things that lesser races fear, um, and uh, so they are they are known throughout the universe. By the time the main thread of Time Lord Victorious kind of kicks into gear, mm. and the Doctor's reaction will be interesting, I think, because generally the Doctor's quite suspicious of immortality isn't he, he you know he yeah. has, uh you know he says it sort of just leads to stagnation i can't which story that is now is it um maybe the brain of morbius something like that and um but you know he's immortality for what it's worth um because because races that are immortal stagnate so he's generally been against that hasn't he so you know where what side he comes down on with the katura i guess is um is, is what we'll see in future stories mm. I think it was it was nice though to see it through the master's eyes first. You know, mm. the, my, this is my first in, in sort of introduction to this to this alien, and it, it's nice to see it through the master's eyes, and particularly, like I say, in this story, where the master fully comprehends what's happened. You know, is is at the end really quite sort of shocked by. The decisions that the Mangelos have made, and, and I think that's quite a different uh, and, and a new way of looking at things. Because normally you're so used to seeing it from the Doctor's point of view and how the Doctor feels about uh, all of these things. So it was, uh, you know, really nice to see it from the Master's perspective. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether the Master turns up again in any of the other stories. Hmm. But the, um, the the voice, just going back to, to the voice, I mean, I, I wrote down here uh, purposeful, uh, very quiet, but also I think this is the kind of uh, master, only master, I would have liked to have seen. I think there was, by the time you got to the last story um, with the cheetah people, he, he was kind of... And, and kind of calmed down. Obviously, been infected by the by the cheetah people, but he'd kind of calmed down. And I think here you've got a master that's very um, controlled and deliberate with what he says and what he does. And it's it's, it's such a great performance. Yeah, I felt like it had echoes of survival in that way. That it was a planet he was stranded on, and he'd sort mm. of formed attachments with the local uh, species, uh, the Mangella here, like he did with the cheetah people. Um, I guess part of the thing of just doing whatever he needs to do to survive um, in any, uh, any given situation. Yeah, and they did. They showed uh, a little bit of the Katora's power, didn't they? They did this sort of flash forward mm. to the master... Um, and where he really wanted to be, you know, back into more of a position of power using the the stones that the Mangelos had, you know, in order to um, to to fight. But, it, it, you know, that very short clip was, was pretty much what really made the Mangelos change their mind and say, well, actually, we'd rather not go down that route. Which is uh, which is quite interesting. I guess that's why it's called the lesser of evil, lesser evil, because you're not quite sure which one was. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, lesser of two evils. Mm. So yeah, so I I I I loved both of those absolutely. Um, I thought they were really um, interesting. They probably told me a little bit more about Time Lord Victorious than the. The first of the McGann stories, but I do want to listen to the next one because of the 
the cliffhanger. So um, I am mildly interested. Put, put it that way. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I want to know more about what's happening. And there's certain. There's definitely elements of what's coming that I'm really interested in. Um, and like I say, the Dalek um, cartoon series is definitely um, one I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I feel like the the main point of this one is to introduce Brian. Um, it seeds a little bit of the mystery that, that that something's wrong with time and that the planets are changing. But it seems to mainly to be introduced Brian and where he's come from, his background, what his job is, um, and I think it really succeeds on that score. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think if 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 we're to take anything away from from um, he kills me, he kills me not. It is. Here's Brian and here's the Eighth Doctor sort of suspecting something's a bit odd and also, you know, let's see what happens sort of next time out. But I think at the moment the Eighth Doctor is certainly the thread that I am most interested in following at the moment. And how do you, because we've got this Blu-ray pack coming out with quite a few of the classic stories. Have you sort of thought about how they tie into everything? I, I mean, uh, I don't. Yeah, no, not really. I, I mean, I think, I think that they they follow. It's almost like, you know, it, it obviously doesn't centre around the Time War. This, mm. you know, thing. I mean, the Time Lord Victorious is sort of a a Time War, you know, type uh, phrase. Mm. Uh, or you know, it's it's kind of it comes from the, the Tenth Doctor sort of going like, no, I'm I'm the last one left. Yes, that that was the that was for me. That was the one I thought. Yes, I can see why that's in there. But yeah, like the waters of Mars and stuff. But then I like, I don't know really why. You know, Genesis is in it, isn't it? And um, yeah, so you've got Planet of the Daleks, Genesis, Deadly Assassin, State of Decay, Curse of Fenric, Runaway Bride, and the Waters of Mars. Yeah, I mean. No idea why planets in there for sure. That's I suppose the other ones sort of show the Doctor with their back against the wall a bit more, um, and I suppose that could tie into stuff that's already come out. Um, yeah. Besides that, I, I haven't got clue why the stories in particular have been chosen, except the Time War Victorious thread that you get obviously in, in the Tenth Doctor's TV era. Mm. The Planet of the Daleks actually is the only one I do know why is in there just because I saw James Goss tweet about this. He said oh. it, it leads into the Daleks cartoon series. Ah, uh, okay. So fine. whether it's okay. the, the frozen, you know, the army of Daleks, maybe that gets frozen in the ice cano, maybe that in some way, I mean, just speculating there, maybe that will uh, will come into it. I wonder, <clears throat> because obviously the, uh, the animated models are the bronze new series Daleks. So I wonder how... They'll weigh up the time difference between the uh, the battered gunmetal grey casings and the shiny bronze ones that we get in the animated series. It'll be interesting, yeah, if if, if they are linked, how that sort of intersects. And I suppose the Rachnos and Fenric are both from the dawn of time or from the dark times or whatever as well, aren't they? So dark times, that. yeah, yeah. So I think it feeds mm. into it. Yeah, I must admit, when I first saw those, I was like, yeah, Daleks, Daleks, the runaway bride. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think that's just because that's the first time we see echoes of like a a dark streak in the Tenth Doctor. Yes. So it kind of, it does does make sense really that that's in there. Mm. Mm. The only only other thing I would just um, add, which I did write down, um, was the weapon that was in Master Thief mm. the the Delgado Master with this sort of sort of a regression weapon, wasn't it? It, it reduced people back to sort of uh, the sort of devolved entity, um, like a, almost like a primordial sludge, mm. and uh, and a. Again, that was that was quite um, pivotal to the story in, in, in what happens, but also quite a brutal weapon to to be using. Um, and I wonder whether that might 
feature later on. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of desiccated master turns up, given the ending of Master Thief, and, and I suppose given that the Deadly Assassin is on the Blu-ray box set for the time of mm. Victorious, um, whether they'll still have that weapon. Maybe if they point it at a Dalek, it'll turn back into a Khaled. Yeah, that's a good yeah. idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I did. I mean, that was that, again was just one of the one of the things that I've just made a note of that was that was quite an interesting addition to the story. But it, you know, the, the master has his tissue compression eliminated normally, so it was quite interesting to see him using this new, um, quite quite you know, powerful weapon. Now that you said that, actually, that, that makes me think it's almost the opposite of the Couture, isn't it? In that they are tasting the future to uh, test out a species' potential for what they'll yep. be in the future and what they will, uh, what impact they'll have on the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if that's going to come back into the narrative, if, if we're still waiting to see how the Master crops up later on, if, if the Master does crop back up later on. Mm. Um, whether or not that will play into it, because it does seem to be the complete reverse of the consumer. So, yeah, interesting. interesting yeah, it's, it's the antithesis of there, whether that will you pay into some way of defeating them or, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's a possibility. Cool. Well, thank you very much, guys. It's been really very interesting. Very welcome. Uh, thank you. You're welcome, man. Speculating. Um, Billy, I've seen you tweet about a project, uh, The Dark Dimension. Oh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, oh, <laughs> your been, baby! It, it's been my baby. It's been in the pipeline for a little while now. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a kind of fan audio adaptation of uh, the the unmade nineteen ninety three um, anniversary special. So that is still rolling on. I'm I'm hoping with everything crossed that I get it out before the end of the year. So um, yeah, that will be uh, that will be something to keep everybody busy in my life they can help me out with it so that'd be, that'd be good for them and it'll pain in the ass for me to try and get it out in the end but it'll be great it'll be great <laughs> fantastic I look forward to that yeah. thank you man I'll put in the show notes where we can find you guys on Twitter um, thank you very much for joining me again and thank you very much for thank listening you. goodbye Brilliant. goodbye bye <laughs>